Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at the second part of the text that we started last week, beginning in verse 22 and going down through verse 24. Uh, As we continue to look at Paul's first sermon, we see the focus of the sermon shift slightly from being empowered by the Holy Spirit to focusing on Jesus. But one thing that did not change, though, in this shift from the Holy Spirit to focusing on Jesus, and that is that men everywhere were implored to listen to what was being said. Um, it's amazing as you looked at as we looked at that last week over and over. He said, "But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words." I mean, he wasn't mincing words. He was excited about what he was about to say. And the bottom line is, he said, everywhere, everyone, everywhere, pay attention to what's being said. And then, as we come down into verse um, twenty-two. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. He's shifting the focus from the coming of the, the Holy Spirit being, uh, being used to empower them to really getting to the point of this is all about Jesus and you need to understand this. You need to hear it and you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. So it's amazing here that one thing has not changed and it's all about Jesus. In a world that has gone awry, in a world that has changed their focus on everything but... We need to get focused back on who Jesus is and what He has done. So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue to notice a few things about this passage and a few things about who this Jesus is that they were talking about. Lord God, as we come before You, once again, we ask that You would meet with us. Lord, that we'd be honest with ourselves, Lord, about our walk with You, our fellowship with You. I ask God that You would speak to our hearts. And through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, allow us to be humble and admit, Lord, where we need to change and might would be willing to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read verses 22 through 24 this morning. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Isn't that an amazing verse? I mean, you think about that just for a second, that last little phrase, death could not hold him down. If we think about that alone, I mean, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But I want to know a few things about this passage. Number one, he was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. In other words, I think we could come to this basic general conclusion. Jesus was no ordinary man. I mean, think about that. He was not a man like anyone else. No one else could do what He did. In other words, no one could live a perfect life with no sin, give His life, and yet rise again to change lives. He was not an ordinary man. He was God incarnate. He was God in the flesh. God who left the splendor of heaven to come down to earth and to be different so that He could provide salvation to mankind. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-15, through 15, it says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love with which are in Christ Jesus. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He was no ordinary man. No other man could do what Jesus came and did. And not only does it say that He was attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, it says that He was living proof of God. Right there in the text. He was the living proof. He came down to do what God was going to do in and through Him. And then miracles. What were these miracles? Well, they were, these were supernatural and powerful events. Supernatural. Not things that you and I could do. Not things that the average person could do. But things that were supernatural and powerful events. And you realize this, in the New Testament alone, there are approximately 36 miracles recorded by Jesus. That's not quite one a month from the months that He fulfilled his, or did His ministry on earth. We know that He lived to be 33 years old. The last three and a half years were ministry-minded. And in those last three and a half years, He did some 36 miracles. Uh, that is approximately just a little bit less than one miracle per month during His last time of ministry. But if you think about just a few of them, walking on water. I haven't met anybody that can do that yet. Anybody in here? I haven't met it yet. You know, uh, it hasn't happened. Calming the storms with His voice. I mean, can you imagine just the winds and the waves and peace be still and the wind calming down the waves. I mean, think about giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, raising the dead, casting out demons, multiplying fish and bread to feed the thousands, turning water to wine. These are just a handful of the miracles that Jesus came and did. No other man could do that. No ordinary man could do that. Why? Because He was God in the flesh. Then there are, there are more miracles uh, that are really life-changing. Uh, can you imagine changing the heart of a prostitute into a true follower of Jesus Christ? Or taking a thief who had a mind to steal and letting him have pure motives. Over and over, God came to save sinners, of which Paul said, I am chief. No ordinary man could do that. No doubt He was a man of miracles. Uh, in fact, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he basically says this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. So there are other things that Jesus did that we don't even know about. Can you imagine being there in the time of Jesus and watching these miracles unfold? Uh, many other miracles that He did that are not written in the book And verse 31 says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You see, everything that He did was for a purpose. It was for a reason. And the main reason that He did it was to turn the hearts of unbelievers into hearts of those who would begin to believe. It wasn't just because He was a magician. It wasn't just because He thought it really cool to stun the minds of people who would be onlookers. He did it so that they would point to God and put their faith and trust in Him. So He did this. What were the wonders? Wonders really, this is the amazement and contemplation of the one who observed the miracles taking place. The witnesses could not stop thinking about what they had witnessed. I mean, not only the miracles, but now then there's the the wonders. And they stood back and they were wondered. And they thought about it. And they meditated on it. And they would it'd be brought up and... Can you imagine the talk in the streets? His reputation preceded Him. And that's Jesus. He's the one that turns water to wine. That's Jesus who gave sight to the blind. Yes, that's Jesus who made the lame man walk. Don't think for a moment that this Jesus and His reputation didn't precede Him. 
And people sat back in wonder and amazement at what they had seen and witnessed. Uh, signs, the giving of the intent of the miracles that were performed to point others to God and to spiritual truth. That was the whole purpose of it. To turn people's heart and focus to God. But He was a man that God worked through. And we see that also in our text there in Acts chapter 2. Let me refer back to it. It says, man of, Men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. He's a man that God worked through like no other. It's amazing when you think of Philippians chapter 2. Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I love this passage. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that at every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that exactly where he ended in last week's passage? He says in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could leave the splendor of heaven to humble himself to come down to earth as a man and experience some of the limitations of the flesh as you and I do, and yet still be sinless, without spot, without blemish, to become the perfect uh, uh, sacrifice for mankind. When I say that He took on the limited limitations of the flesh, you know that He was hungry, just like you and I? He thirsted, like you and I? He had emotions. He wept when Lazarus died, as we weep when those that we love die. He was very much like man, yet without sin. He humbled himself. And he, and one of the other things that we read of in our text there in verse 22 is that he says very clearly, uh, signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. In your midst. It's not like the people hadn't heard of Jesus before. Everything he did was on display. They knew who he was. But why did Jesus do the miracles that he did? Why? You ever thought about that? In John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, John 10, 37 and 38 gives us a little bit of a reason. He says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. He said, By the very things that I do, you know that it's not just me. It's the Father working in and through me. He says, but if I don't do it, you have no reason to believe. But when you see it, it will captivate your minds. It will cause you to think. And you will know that it is God in me and I in Him. We are one and the same. And then he goes on in John chapter 15 and says something similar in verses 24 and 25. He says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, Once again, he's no ordinary man. He's not like anyone could do the things that he did. So he says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. 
But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. He needed to be different so that he could offer something different. He was God in the flesh. And now we see something else in Acts chapter 2. As we go into verse 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So first of all, he's a man delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge. And everything that we see, he was a unique man. It, just, it, it captivates my mind. Uh, a man determined by, or by determined purpose. In other words, foreknowledge. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, he says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All who dwell on earth will worship him. They will come to the conclusion that he is God. And that he came to do exactly what he said he came to do. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. The bottom line is Jesus did what he did because it was God working through him, and he was fulfilling the will of his Father. And we need to remember that he was no ordinary man. Over and over, we think of Jesus as just being a name on a page of a piece of paper somewhere in a book. I hope that he's more than that to all of us. I hope that He is more than just a name. He is God in flesh. He came down to this earth to do in and through us what we could not do in and through ourselves. He was no ordinary man. But it also tells us in our text in Acts chapter 2 that He was a man delivered into lawless hands, crucified and put to death. I think this here is a powerful thought to meditate on. The fact that he was delivered into lawless hands. God may have used sinful fleshly men to accomplish his will and his plans, but that does not dissolve man of his responsibility and sin in his involvement. Man cannot thwart God's plans, but they will give an account for their own sins. I've heard this being discussed amongst preachers in the past. Well, the guys that led him, they were just doing what they're supposed to do to fulfill the law. It's not going to be. You know, it's not like they committed sins themselves. Well, God's Word says contrary to that. It doesn't matter that it was part of God's plan. They were still sinful men that God used to carry out His plan. And we see that throughout Scripture that God has used a lot of sinful men to carry out His ultimate plan. I mean, think of Rahab the harlot. If God can use a harlot to fulfill His plan, He can use anybody. But that doesn't make what she did right, right? God can use sinful man to carry his will, but that is not, they are not without uh, just excuse or punishment. In Luke chapter 22, and verse 22, uh, it says this, And truly the Son of Man goes as it had been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. The man who delivered him is still held accountable. The man who did the sin is still going to have to pay for his sin, though God's plan will go forward. And then, not only a man delivered into lawless hands and crucified and put to death, he was a man who was not held by death because it was not possible. Think about that phrase. I love it. The very thing that we started with in knowing that the focus went from the empowering of the Holy Spirit to focusing on who Jesus is that would come and die. I mean, think about this. 
I love this passage. Acts chapter 2. Let me read it again. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, have put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I mean, that's talking about Easter message right there. God raising himself from the dead. A man not held by death because it was not possible. Just think about that phrase in God's Word. It was not possible to hold Him. The grave could not contain Jesus. And this is what sets Jesus apart from every other religion under the sun. And though I don't believe that Christianity is necessarily a religion because we don't follow religion, right? We have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we follow Him. But this is what sets him apart from all other religious people in history. No one else ever did or could do what Jesus did in rising from the grave. In John chapter 14, verse 19, he says, Just a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Why? Because I live, and you will live also. He says, I'm going to go to the grave, but just hold on, I'm not going to stay there. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's the gospel. I mean, somebody, is that, does that excite anybody? That we serve a Jesus who's not in the grave? I mean, think about that. He's none like any other one else. He's not an ordinary man. He says, I'm going to die, but he goes, that's going to be temporary. But notice in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, but death could not hold him. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death He might destroy Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And Him dying and going to the grave and then rising three days later, He destroyed the devil. The devil would not have victory over Him. That's amazing. Folks, if we ever had hope, it's because of this. If we ever have anything to look forward to, it's because of what Jesus has done. And if that doesn't get you excited... I remember, how, how many remember the cathedrals? The cathedral, all, all six of you? Come on now. Seriously? That was good music. Good Gaither music. Come on. But I remember Glenn Payne of the cathedral used to say, if that don't get you excited, that don't get your fire burning, your wood's wet. So the bottom line is you got to get excited about that. you got to get excited about who Jesus is and what He's done. Death could not hold Him. John chapter 2. Just a couple pages back here. John chapter 2. Beginning with verse 18, he says this. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy the temple and in three days I'll rise up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you'll rise it up in three days? (laughs) He was speaking of the temple of His body. Therefore, when He had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said to said to, to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Why? Because He was different. This was God in the flesh. Died, put into a borrowed tomb, and the tombstone was rolled away and He comes forth. Bottom line is he's not an ordinary man. He is Jesus in the flesh. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
You use this passage a lot of times at memorial services to speak of, well, not only what takes place and the change that God's going to bring, but the fact that for the believer this thing of death has been removed. But also a passage in First Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 16. He says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Some of your translations, translations may say, it's in vain. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, there is no hope. They're not going to rise. It's just, well, they're dead, gone, they're buried. It's just, it is what it is. No more. But if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If this is the only hope we have is living in this world, planet earth, and if we just live and die and go to the grave, turn to dirt again, we are men most miserable, most pitiable. There's nothing left. I'm so thankful that there is something more. In fact, turn over to the end of the chapter. Your heading may say uh, something like our final victory or something in verse 50. Look at verse 50. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruption, corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says in verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is something more to live for. It's, death is not the finality for us. It may be our end, mark our, our ending here on earth, but the bottom line is, this is just temporary anyway, right? Remember on the timeline of eternity? I don't care whether you live to be 105 years old, you're still just a little speck on the timeline of eternity. Our life is short, right? God's Word gives us so many examples of how short this life is. It says in James 4, your life is but a vapor. Chronicles says your life is but smoke. Psalm says your life is but smoke. Job says your life is but smoke and dust. First Peter says your life is as a grass that turns green and a flower that blooms and then fades away. The bottom line is it doesn't matter how you want to look at your life, it's still just a speck on the timeline of eternity. And God's, that's why God's Word reminds us that our true citizenship, what we live for, what we long for, is in heaven. Anything in this life is temporary. Including all the struggles, all the trials, all the disappointments. Anything that we can face in this life will not be in the next. No more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. He said, in fact, in God's Word tells us that in heaven... Nothing can enter in that can what? Defile. It is perfect. Can you imagine being in a place where Jesus is and He says there's no need of the light there in heaven because why? The glory of God will be its light. No need to turn the lamp on. (laughs) Not needed there. God's glory is going to illuminate heaven, right? Think about that. We have so much more to live for. In fact, oftentimes at memorial service, I'll end with verse 57 or 58. 
For those of us that are still here, we mourn the loved ones that go on before us. We're excited because, man, it's graduation day. They meet, they beat us there. They get to enjoy the splendor of heaven before we do. Their souls are there, absent of the body, present with the Lord. We talked about that Thursday night. But the reality is they beat us there. They're enjoying the fruit of heaven. But for those of us that remain, that are here, that know Jesus, that have a relationship with Him, that have put our faith and trust in Him, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. You know what steadfast means? Don't stop. You keep living for God. You don't give up because someone else has beat you there and gotten on before you. You keep pushing on for the cause of Christ. So he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, what? In the work of the Lord. Uh-oh, that's where some of us have kind of left off just a little bit. What is you? What are you doing for the work of the Lord in your life? The reality is, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So just because we're old or just because our loved ones may have died and gone on ahead of us doesn't mean we stop and quit. said it before, God did not make you to be a spectator. He created you to be a participant, right? He didn't create you to sit soaking sour. He created you to be used and to keep being used until God comes again. So he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's why. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God will honor and bless what you do for Him and His cause. The bottom line is we're not to quit. And it all comes back down to this Jesus that we've been talking about. So in verse 21 where we left off last week, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, shall be saved. I've been saying it for a couple months now and in and out of messages, kind of putting the plug in there. If your life has not changed, it may be because you don't know Jesus. Being a good person will not get you to heaven. Being a good person will not save you. Being a good person may make you just that, a decent person. But unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your eternity, according to God's Word, will be hell. And the only way to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ is to put your faith and trust in Him and have a relationship with Him. No other shortcuts. No other means. There's not many roads that get you to the same place. People want you to believe that, but it's not found in God's Word. It's only in the name of Jesus. In fact, He says this, and we'll look at this later uh, when we get to it. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the man Jesus that we read about in verse 22 and 23. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth. Because this is the man who can change your life. He's no ordinary man. You want to change life? Put your faith in Jesus. You want your life to be different than what it is apart from Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus. Because this is a man attested, or in other words, approved by or tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through Him in your midst, right amongst you. You observed it. You saw it. As you yourselves know, in Him being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. This is the Jesus that you need to put your faith and trust in. 
And when you do that, it will change everything. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Not about Jesus, because we all know things about. If you've ever been to a church service, you've ever heard Grandma and Grandpa talk, you've heard things about Jesus, but you truly know Him. People say, well, I really don't know. You know, I, I, Have you ever prayed? You say, well, is that important? Yeah, I think it is. Because Romans 10.9 says, For with a heart one believes, but with a mouth confession is made. And then it says, whoever calls upon the Lord. There's been times in, my, in our history in the last several years where I appreciate very much my kids trying to make it, on, make it through life on their own. They're trying. You know, I don't have to help all my kids in the same way. But, you know, as they just finish high school and maybe they go on to college or trade school and they're getting out of college and trade school and they're kind of planting their roots and trying to take off. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to do it on their own. But there are times that you look, look, look at them as a parent and you say, they're struggling. But you don't want to intrude, right? You don't want to be that guy that's just hovering over like a shadow, like a, you know, do this, do this, you got to do this, you're not doing this, and, you know, create the distance. So what you do? Hey, I have this observation. If you need help, let me know. If you need help, let me know. You see, when I offer my help to them, I'm not forcing my help upon them. I'm giving them the option. I'm giving them the option to know that I'm here for them. You're a little bit short this week? Let me see what I can do to help you. You need a little help in this area? Let me see what I can do to to give you a hand. I appreciate the fact that they want to do it on their own, but there are times that they need a little extra help. But here's the thing. You don't force it, right? It's kind of embarrassing for someone who really wants to do it on their own and you're always there telling them how to do it or fixing them, bailing them out. And we don't really want to bail out our kids either, do we? We want them to make it. We want them to struggle through it. I don't know that it's really much different with salvation. He says, if you call on me, I'm here for you. He's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to do it for you. But Jesus says, if you'll call on me, I'll save you. You know what that requires on the part of the recipient? A little bit of humility. I can't do this on my own. I need the help. I can't forgive myself of sins. I can't remove the guilt of things that I've done. I can't get myself to heaven by anything that I would do on my own. Because not by works of righteousness which I've done. I mean, I can't be good enough. Not by works of anything according to Titus 3.5 or Ephesians 2.8 and 9. There comes a point where I have to humble myself and call on Him because I can't do this on my own. He'll not force it. But He says, whoever will call. So is it important to call? Yeah, because He says, for with the heart one believes. And by the way, it even says in God's Word that even the devils believe in what? Tremble. But you know what the devils haven't done? Called on Jesus to ask for repentance of sin and forgiveness of sin and then put their faith in Jesus. 
And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. There comes a point where we humble ourselves before Jesus Christ. Say, thank you for dying on the cross. I believe that you did exactly what you said you did. You shed your blood to cover my sins. And God, I can't do that on my own. So therefore, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart. And I put my faith and trust in you. And that changes everything. Talk about Jesus. He's the only one that's alive. No other of these 40,000 registered religions that we have in our world can make that claim. He alone is Jesus. I hope you know Him. And this is what Peter was talking about in this first sermon. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us, to come alongside us, to give us what we need to do in ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus comes on with miracles, signs, and wonders and points everything to, Jesus, or to God, His Father, as God's working through Him to do all these things. And He says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's this man who walked among them, whose reputation preceded him, who lived a perfect life so that he could invite you to life eternal. I hope you know him. Lord God, as we come before you, we ask God that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, I'm certain. I don't ever want to assume that just because they're in a church auditorium somewhere, that just because they're here, they know you. Lord, I believe that there are people in churches all across America, even right now. They're here every week. They're at their favorite church service every week, and yet they still have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. I believe that. I also believe that there are those who have, Lord, and because of they have a changed life. But God, I pray if there be one here today, Lord, Your Word tells us in Second Corinthians that today is a day of salvation. And Lord, that if we would humble ourselves before You and put our faith and trust in You, that You'll save us. So Lord, I pray if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, that today would be a day of salvation for them. God, I pray that today there might be humility in this room to be like the One who gave everything that they might have a relationship with You. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a minute, no one be looking around. Every week we have an opportunity to just respond to the things that we've heard. And a couple questions I want to ask you this morning in regards to what we saw in God's Word. Do you know Jesus? Do you truly know Him? Do you have the assurance that one day when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven because you put your faith and trust in Him and you called out in humility and began a relationship? If you're here this morning, I would love to offer you that opportunity. Oh, I can't save you. My words can't save you. Nothing I can do can save you. It's your faith, your trust, your prayer, your calling out to God in humility. But if you say, Pastor, I'm here this morning. I don't know if I know how to make that prayer. He says, with a heart one believes, with a mouth confession is made. There needs to come a time in your life where you say, Lord, I need you. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Ken, I don't know that I have that certainty. I don't know that if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. I just don't know, but I'm concerned. Can I ask you just so as heads are bowed and eyes closed, just to look up at me? Maybe lift your hand. You're not sure? I'll not embarrass you, not call you out. Just simply look up at me. You're not sure. Can I invite you to pray this prayer? My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. But if you want to know how to pray, I can lead you in prayer. And you simply repeat these words. 
and you put your faith and your trust in God, you believe what you're saying before God, a simple prayer like this, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse my heart. And I call on you to be my Savior. I ask you to be my Savior. I put my trust in you and you alone. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Ken, I prayed that simple prayer in my heart. Would you be honest enough just to look up at me and say, I prayed that prayer? Anyone? Nod your head. Thank you. Anyone else? I want you to know by the authority of God's Word, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He'll change your life. He'll make heaven your home and Jesus your Savior. But I challenge you, if you've never made that commitment, there's no time like the present to simply admit that you're a sinner, ask Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse your heart and to put your faith and trust in Him. So for the rest of us, maybe you have done that, but one more question. When Peter came in and spoke this sermon, he says, men everywhere, pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. I hope that you never forget the power that is in Jesus. The things that only Jesus can do in your life. Don't ever let it grow stagnant, your walk with Him. Don't ever let it become happenstance and just commonplace. But to constantly live in such a way that you have a vibrant relationship with Him. You're communicating with Him through prayer and He's communicating with you through His Word. Two-way communication. That's how relationships last. Lord Jesus, I pray that You continue to work in our hearts. Lord, I think a couple people nodded their heads that they'd prayed that prayer. And I pray, God, that You'd help them to grow and to be committed to You in some way, Lord, to know You more through the reading of Your Word by being around other believers that can teach them. Lord, I pray that You would draw us all closer to You and make us more like You as a result of what we've heard this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.